they're no laughing matters and they're really important and actually even though it's affecting a function so it might be you know the ability to control your bladder or your tummy or how you're exercising actually it has just such an impact on like your whole well-being when you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like would it be physical muscles you'd see Here at Give Me Strength, we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way. For some, it may be the kilograms on their deadlift, but for others, it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us or developing a resilience through difficult experiences. My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. Welcome to another episode of Give Me Strength. Now, this week, we have a slightly different focus. And instead of hearing a story of strength from my guest, we're going to sit back and use this episode to help you, wherever you're listening, feel physically stronger instead. My guest today is Helen Keeble, a physiotherapist who specializes in pelvic health. She began her passion for pelvic health whilst working at the Royal Free NHS Foundation Trust and has since worked as a leading specialist in the field, both in the UK and Ireland. After leaving the NHS in 2012, she set up her own highly reputable private practice in London, where she is clinical lead physiotherapist to a dedicated and knowledgeable team of pelvic health physios. Alongside her busy clinic, Helen has found time to be one of the official physiotherapists for the Olympics, as well as being an educator in her field now too, providing postgraduate training to other physiotherapists around the UK. What I love about her most, though, is that she is passionate not only about pelvic health, but also that pelvic health issues should not and need not be the reason that women suffer any sense of embarrassment or avoid exercise. Helen, I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. I am very excited that we are talking about this topic because it's something that I have developed such an interest in over the last couple of months. And I know that I've been in clinic with you and learned loads from you. I mean, you are just a fount of knowledge. Um, So I'm really excited to be able to sit down and get this on a proper podcast so that people everywhere can learn from you. So I first of all wanted to start talking about what pelvic health is because I think when a lot of people hear that they're like well well, what actually is that is it my pelvis is it my pelvic floor so what does pelvic health actually mean (laughs) well pelvic health has actually become in the last few years the kind of PC term for women's health and men's health together Mm -hmm. so we used to call it women's health and men's health separately Um, so pelvic health is now what we call it to try and encompass you know just to reduce bias and things like that but essentially no matter what you call it it is there to help you to address anything around your middle so inside or out so you know in terms of in a typical pelvic health clinic then I would see any abdominal problems like a diastasis after pregnancy or pelvic floor stuff of course like prolapse or incontinence you know our hips are also in our pelvic area so I might treat hip pain or groin strain and Mm. lower back that's all in the same area too Mm. so it's quite encompassing. Yeah, it is. And it's a huge area and it covers a lot. So I guess in a, in a day in clinic, you could see a whole variety of different things. So we're going to go all over the place today. But what I wanted to start off knowing is why you chose to specialise in this area. I guess as a physio, it might not scream the most to be the most <laughs> exciting area to specialise in. But I wondered what it was that attracted you to working in pelvic health. Yeah. So when I was a baby physio, when I had just qualified, you rotate around and every four months you're in a new area as a qualified physio. So, you know, the usual in elderly care, intensive care, neurology, you know, covering all bases. And actually, it was about a year and a half into my career that I did pelvic health for the first time at the Royal Free. And to be honest, I never really looked back, but I still didn't know that when I did it, I was going to do it for what now would feel like forever. Um, And was it as much of a thing then? Because like, I'd never really heard of pelvic health, really. And and as you said, it was called something else. But until recently, so was it as much of a thing then in the NHS as it is now? I would say it's become a bit fashionable, almost pelvic health in the last five to 10 years. But I love that because it's getting, well, we have a long way to go, but it's beginning to get the airtime it deserves Mm. and the airtime that it needs because... I just feel like 
women deserve better and mm. these things and the issues that women come see me about and some men they're no laughing matters and they're really important yeah. and actually even though it's affecting a function so it mm. might be you know the ability to control your bladder or your tummy or how you're exercising actually mm. it has just such an impact on like your whole well-being mental health completely yeah this is it exactly like you know for example if you have incontinence within six weeks of having a baby it doubles your risk of postnatal depression so like there's just such a huge link between just everything with pelvic Mm. health your pelvis is the like the center of your body but also I think the center of so much more and how you feel about yourself and your confidence and just so much more so yeah and and you know I know it sounds a bit cheesy but it is literally involved in every step you take and every move you make (laughs) I really wanted to get that in there but it really is and I think for that reason it should have the airtime that it deserves but I also think there's something in the fact that we are much more comfortable now and I'm really feeling that social media is driving this push to talk about more taboo subjects things like periods incontinence if you look at the kind of campaigns that have gone on with like always for example who are really discussing these subjects that you know 10 years ago would never have had happened and I think it's a really positive shift that we're seeing and I I do think some of that is attributed to social media but I also think people like yourself really championing that message you know you've been banging this pelvic floor drum for so long and finally it starts to seem as though people are really cottoning onto it. Yeah I totally agree and especially from social media you're just Mm. so you can as the user you can get this information and from credible people who know what they're talking about and Mm. trying to help you reliably and actually some of the things I cover in my clinic are of course quite embarrassing for some people to yeah I was just about to say to go to your GP and be like I wet myself when I run you know it's it's really uncomfortable whereas to be able to reach out to someone who you don't know on social media must actually feel a lot more comfortable I think this is it and even if it just gives you the confidence to think oh okay this isn't normal or oh okay this can be helped then Mm. I think it's great and Mm. you have that element of anonymity still on social media so the user can read things and learn things and not have to confront somebody to you know yeah. to talk about it which yeah. can be hard now i want to dive in and discuss pelvic floor i guess most women only start to think about their pelvic floor when they're pregnant but shouldn't we all be a bit concerned with our pelvic floor absolutely yeah <laughs> definitely because our pelvic floor is so important so it's at the bottom of our pelvis mm-hmm. as the name suggests and There's four main functions, basically. It helps support our pelvic joints. It helps keep us dry or stop us from leaking. It supports our organs, so it prevents prolapse. And it also gives us all of our sexual function. So, you know, those functions are not just for ladies that have had babies. It's the fact that a pregnancy is a significant event for the body. Mm -hmm. So that can really weaken the pelvic floor. And so that's when we hear about it the most because, you know, a lot of midwives and GPs will inform pregnant ladies to do their pelvic floor squeezes, which is great. We want those people to be doing them as well. But yeah, we all need to have good bowel Mm. control, bladder control. Mm. Well, I think it's really interesting that you talk about pregnancy because I think one of the things that I really had my eyes open to was that it's not just pregnancy that can have an impact on, I guess, causing a weakness in your pelvic floor. And I wondered if you you could maybe discuss some of the reasons why people might develop a weakened pelvic floor that aren't pregnancy related. Yeah, so top of the list is pooing or how we poo. So it really comes down to the position that you sit on when you're on the toilet Um, so anatomically we're all actually designed to go to the toilet squatting but of course we've just become accustomed to sitting upright but long story short it actually makes it a bit harder for the stool to leave the hole (laughs) so if you were able to get a stool that you can put your feet on or a step I should probably be saying (laughs) not the stool A step to use in the bathroom. (laughs) You know, just simply getting your knees higher than your hips in a relaxed position will do wonders for your pelvic floor. Um, And the second most important thing when you're on the toilet, because the whole weakening can come from straining. Mm. So getting your knees up on your step helps reduce the straining and so does breathing in the correct way. Mm. So if we're pushing or straining or bearing down, then we have to hold our breath to do that and so we're not actually breathing if you're pushing so just sitting there knees up and breathing in and out of your tummy should then enable you to empty your bowels without then having to strain yeah because there's studies out there that show us that straining on the toilet repetitively over a long period of time is actually more weakening than childbirth 
Wow. So if you think about it, everyone goes for a poo. So mm. we should, we really all should know about pelvic floor health. Mm. One day I would love to see kind of just general pelvic health and well-being being taught at schools or something. But until then, just get your step and breathe when you're going for a poo. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting <laughs> one. And I remember first reading about this in that book by Dr. Julia Enders, which was called Gut. Gut. And um, yeah. I remember seeing her draw the, the drawings of someone squatting and seeing how that changed um, what's going on for our kind of digestive system and how it yeah. allowed the stool to exit much more easily and since seeing you Helen as you know I ordered one of the stools that slots underneath your loo and it does make a massive difference and I think also and we spoke about this in clinic was we are all busy and stressed now so now going to the toilet like if you look at sometimes how men go to the toilet and they spend you know maybe 10 minutes (laughs) faffing on their phone reading the newspaper whereas I feel like a lot of us are rushing all the time you know either we're doing it at work and it's really quick or you're trying to get out the door you've got kids or whatever so that time is no longer sacred anymore so that ability to be able to just relax and allow your body to do its thing doesn't really happen anymore so what would be your best advice to someone that's wanting so get a step is the first one and then when you come when it comes to that breathing is it really breathing out into your diaphragm is it hands around the waist is it just expand like kind of 3d breathing which i describe in the gym is like kind of expanding through the rib cage and also the other way as well so out in um, from your tummy i guess it's more similar to the 3d breathing you just described there so Mm. Just keep it simple. As you breathe in, your tummy expands. As you breathe out, it goes back down again. And oh, I 100% agree with what you say about time and busyness and stress because it has such a strong link. Mm. And especially with our pelvic floor, because our pelvic floor are quite emotionally reactive muscles. There was this study out a while ago now, but they showed ladies scary films and they had electrodes all over their body. And basically their pelvic floor were the first muscles in the body to react to that kind of emotion. Yeah, because they say it's like a gut feeling, but it is almost like that if you're really nervous, you feel yeah. it go instantly. Like I know that feeling really well. If, I, if there's something that I'm quite nervous about doing or if I feel a bit stressed, you really can feel that. This is it. And it's actually normal to take up to 10 minutes to open our bowels. So, and I think for most people that would seem like quite a luxury, Mm. Um, but it's completely normal to take up to 10 minutes. So if you do have the time, then, well, and I'd really urge you to try and just make a little bit of time if at all possible, but I do appreciate it's not always that easy. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, we touched on straining on the toilet, but there are also other things that can impact the pelvic floor. Do you maybe want to talk about stuff in the gym? So heavy lifting has shown that it can weaken your pelvic floor. However, it can also strengthen your pelvic floor. So this is where it is really beneficial to work with somebody one on one, even just for a couple of sessions, if you can, to kind of find out what your limit is. Because the thing is, everybody's body is different and everybody's body is going to react in a different way. So if you are repetitively lifting really heavy weights and experiencing a lot of pressure downwards, similar to straining on the toilet, then that's going to also weaken your pelvic floor. I find that really interesting and I think it ties into that uh, sense of bracing that Absolutely. you know about two or three years ago bracing was a massive thing people wearing weight belts in the gym yes. um, I know you have a lot of opinions on that I wondered if you could maybe <laughs> yeah. expand so so when it comes to bracing what's your what's your uh, stance on that yeah so well I guess in clinic well I used to work in a CrossFit gym for 18 months so I would see and I love doing CrossFit myself um, so I would see a lot of ladies who really love weightlifting or high impact and high intensity exercise and so helping them essentially cure their pelvic health problems that stop or prevent them getting into the gym as often as they'd like. So all the ladies that I see who are experiencing incontinence and prolapse, I would always be asking them what is their lifting technique. So if they're breathing in and then setting everything rock solid and kind of bracing, I just want to make sure that they're not actually bearing down. And traditionally by bracing, you're actually increasing your intra-abdominal pressure. And if you're then lifting a weight that your pelvic floor isn't able to counteract in terms of that pressure, then you're going to be weakening the pelvic floor. So actually, generally, what I will say to my ladies who have problems is actually stop bracing. 
So to breathe out as you're lifting or doing the effort, just because mm. that helps to blow pressure off mm. and also to not use any weight belt. Because if they're using belts to lift weights, then a lot of the ladies I see anyway over the years would wear them really tightly. And that just also increases intra-abdominal pressure, which will also go up as you're lifting the weight and also goes up again if you're holding your breath, you know, and then your poor pelvic floor... <laughs> at the bottom of it all then you know it's no wonder that then you yeah, can then get issues. symptoms if it's weakened of course now we've been doing a lot of chat about pelvic floor but I haven't actually asked you to describe maybe where the pelvic floor is you said it sits at the bottom of the pelvis obviously yeah. but I think for a lot of people they actually struggle to locate where it is or to feel what they're supposed to be feeling do you have any really good cues that help people to really kind of feel that sense of okay now I know where it is yeah so if you were to sit on your hand with your hand between your legs essentially all the area more or less where your hand is touching would be where your pelvic floor muscles sit and they are predominantly internal muscles so you can't really see them very much on the outside if you look anatomically actually most of our pelvic floor is either to the side or behind the back passage or the anus that's essentially where the cueing comes in to get the best pelvic floor squeeze there's lots of studies now coming out that confirm what we already knew that if you're trying to get a pelvic floor contraction or a squeeze or activate your pelvic floor or do a kegel there's so many names for the same Mm. thing you essentially just want to squeeze the back passage as if you're trying to stop wind Mm. and that often surprises people because maybe they're only leaking from their bladder and they'll be a bit confused as to one and talking about their back passage but actually even if it's just bladder leaks that people are um, being troubled by still you have to squeeze from the back passage to strengthen the pelvic floor to then stop those leaks Mm. and it's the same in men as well same for all of us so just trying to as if you're trying to hold in a fart I'm doing it now (laughs) oh yeah feel it (laughs) tell by the face (laughs) so um, we talked about leakage and I think that's obviously one of the main symptoms that probably present themselves to you in clinic but are there any other signs that we should be aware of in terms of a weakening of the pelvic floor interestingly I would say most people I see with symptoms of a weak pelvic floor actually have pelvic floor tension So I was just saying there about how to squeeze your pelvic floor, but the opposite is just as important. And actually to make sure that you have fully let go, because if you have tension there, it can feel quite hard to begin with. What the hell's going on? (laughs) You know, Mm. you can have all these cues and I always try and make it as simple and easy as possible. Mm. And sometimes people get the squeeze or that sensation of a lift really well, but the letting go is often a bit trickier. So quite simply to make sure it has let go, You just take a big breath in so that your diaphragm moves and then your pelvic floor should let go. Mm. So for some people when it's really tense, they might have to do a couple of breaths. But that's the best way really to make sure your flexibility is also there. Mm -hmm. Other symptoms that you might experience can be things like a feeling of heaviness or dragging between the legs. Mm. It can be leaking, like you've said, but that covers urine, Mm. feces and wind. Mm. Um, We think of the bladder a lot, but it can also be from the back passage. Common things I would see is trouble with intercourse. So Mm. in females that they can't achieve penetration simply or easily or having painful smear tests or difficulty using tampons, Mm. I would say they are the main things. I remember one of the key things that you taught me was we wanted to be strong, but we also I want it to be flexible and I think yeah. that's the thing that people forget and that's why the cue to really match the breathing with the exercises of the the, like the squeezes or the kegels or whatever you want to call them is so key because if it's too tense there's yeah. no movement there and then you're going to have just as many issues as if it were too weak exactly that it's like trying to you know if you imagine trying to use your hand in a clenched fist the whole time you know if your muscle tension is high you can't open and use your hand as it to its full function and the same for any muscle in the body if it's really tense then it can't do its job and I think for a lot of women especially that there's this whole stigma around you know unfortunately you know words are quite powerful and the sort of things that I hear my poor ladies getting told by other professionals and things like that you know I think there's a lot of social pressure I guess around women to kind of be tight and not to be loose and all of those Mm. kind of words around the vagina get used quite a lot and so I think 
yeah, it's really important that we know what is normal. And in the pelvic floor, letting go is just as important as squeezing. And actually, most of the women that I see in the gym, for example, it's that they're not letting go. And, you know, I think that's quite hard to get your head around initially, because if you're worried about leaking or worried about a prolapse, then I think it's only natural to want to clench and hold that in. Mm. But actually, yeah, you've got to let it go so that the pelvic floor becomes flexible and then available to work and then it gets stronger and then it gets more reactive and then it can control what it's meant to be controlling. Now, in terms of the strategies that you might implement within clinic or with anyone that you see to strengthen their pelvic floor, we've talked about squeezers, but do you actually want to talk through what those entail and how you would generally prescribe them? And obviously you can't be super specific, but as as general as you can be. Yeah, so generally I'm aiming for the lady in front of me to be able to do her squeezes correctly. So a pelvic floor squeeze correctly is a tightening and a lift and a slight movement forward. So I'd often say something like try and get your anus to your belly button. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So trying to get that like up and forward type direction to the lift is also quite important, but without using their abs too much. Mm -hmm. But generally, I want them to be able to do that well in standing and also be able to hold that for 10 seconds in standing as well. So for some people that I see whose pelvic floor have become quite weak, then I might just give them something really simple like 10 squeezes. So no holding, but just squeezing in lying three times a day, you know, and then as they get stronger, we gradually begin to get them to hold for longer, aiming for that 10 seconds. And then as they continue to get stronger, we then change the position. So sitting is a bit harder than lying. And then standing is obviously a bit harder than sitting. And it's like anything um, in the gym, you know, if you're deadlifting, you start with a very easy, basic variation. And then as you get stronger and as you get more confident, you build on that. And I think the same for the pelvic floor, you know, you're not going to run before you can it. walk and be able to do all your squeezes properly. It's about, I guess, a journey and, and knowing that start lying down, start slow, start steady, get your head around it, make sure you're doing it properly. This Just as it. form in the gym is important. Form with your pelvic floor is also important. It's, yeah, exactly. It's so, so so true and the only other little thing I would add in is just some impact that is appropriate to that patient or to that lady as well yes you did a really Um, good post about box jumps and I was fascinated by it yeah so there's some really really exciting stuff coming out in the last few years especially about how the pelvic floor muscles react to impact because it is mad like your the pelvic floor muscle is kind of the only muscle that we've questioned about the benefits of exercise too you know no other muscle in the body would you worry if exercise is beneficial or not but the pelvic floor has had that question around it because lots of people experience leaking or problems with exercise but there's loads of evidence coming out saying that when we jump for example there was a paper recently that showed that on the landing part of the jump the pelvic floor muscle contracted by 400 percent wow So, you know, with all the best cues in the world, like we definitely can't voluntarily train that. Mm. So often what I'll try and get my ladies to do as well are their simple pelvic floor squeezes or holding, but also some impact. So Mm. that might start off really low level. It might just be a bit of stamping as they walk and then progressing up into hopping and then jumping and then maybe some skipping depending on what their goals are and there was something that I touched on in my intro for you that I really feel you you are so great at which is you don't tell women that they can't do stuff you just regress it to where they're at and then you build on that and I think for a long long time I guess a lot of women will have felt written off. There's so many women that I've even met that are like, oh, I can't run, my pelvic floor's too weak, or I can't go on a trampoline because my pelvic floor's too weak. And I think what's really interesting is that you have that approach of really meeting women where they're at, telling them what is possible and working with that so that they can progress really well and be able to eventually do the stuff that they thought they could never do. And I think that's such a positive approach that I don't know has been practiced as as much as, as it is now. Yeah, like, and well, I feel just so strongly and so passionate about getting women back into exercise. And, mm. you know, our pelvic floor shouldn't be the reason that it stops you from exercising. And there's just so much that we can do. The trouble is abstaining from exercise isn't going to fix things either. Whereas actually, if we check where you're at, get the level correct, and then gradually build up from there, 
so what if it takes a few months? But, you know, if you then eventually you're making progress, going the right direction, then you're actually going to get stronger. Mm. So it's about, as you say, meeting them where they're at and just knowing what is the right thing to do. I think confidence is a big part of the issue because so often people are told just to stop or not to do that. But in my opinion, I think it's about getting the level right. Mm. You know, you don't want to go straight running for a marathon if you haven't ran for like a month or Mm. two. But I think abstaining is just dangerous Mm. you know we need to exercise we'll be back after this welcome back to give me strength and in terms of the advice that you just gave about the squeezes so 10 starting lying down 10 holds um, does any of that change if someone is pregnant and throughout that pregnancy phase is there any more advice that you might offer to someone yeah so during pregnancy we generally tend to say aim for 8 to 12 reps Mm -hmm. three times a day okay that is of the squeezes but Mm -hmm. we also want you doing some holds as well so aiming for those 10 seconds and I know that most of the people I see the most tricky thing is remembering to do them and there are loads of apps actually out these days that are for free and really really good at setting reminders and you can put in the program that you're working towards so if you have been able to see a physio and they've checked your pelvic floor and have let you know what level you're at then you can put in what they tell you or if you just want to start with a rough baseline so maybe try eight of each three times a day and see how you go from there but definitely in pregnancy we would advise to do just a few more so that program there would be a strengthening program but if you don't have any symptoms and you weren't pregnant then just doing like five of each a day or something would be enough for maintenance Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to talk about how that transitions when women go through the menopause because I know that's a time when naturally our bodies lose muscle as we get older anyway but does this mean that our pelvic floor weakens too and if so what can we do to prevent this yeah I'm so glad that you asked me this because I think it's such another big area that just doesn't get spoken about Mm. and yeah you're right all of our muscle mass decreases as we get older um, and the pelvic floor isn't an exception from that However, it is a muscle and although our muscle mass does get smaller and the rate of muscle production is um, slower, we can still always get our pelvic floor muscles stronger. So it just comes back again to making sure that you're doing your pelvic floor squeezes correctly and that you're then actually doing them. And I would say I definitely see a peak of people around menopausal age as well coming in with problems. Often it's actually problems with intercourse because when we're through the menopause and our estrogen is a bit lower than before, then it does just make us a bit drier down below. That was one of my questions was things change down there and I thought you could you maybe discuss because I think there's so much to do about around that area and particularly for women of that age who maybe aren't as prominent on social media or don't feel as confident to talk about on social media what can they expect to happen down there and what is normal yeah so normal is that things get a bit smaller so we lose a bit of kind of plumpness I guess to the tissues so like to your skin and muscles and the the one biggest change is that our natural lubrication does get less. Mm. It's also a more likely time to experience urinary symptoms. So going to the toilet really often or perhaps a bit of leakage happening. And this is just because the estrogen that's normally there is much, much less. And a lot of women just don't know about these simple things, which we'll definitely put into that module at school that we'll create. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because also menopause affects everybody. I know it's for the lady going through it, but that lady might have children. She might have a husband. You might have a partner. You know, that it's kind of like... Yeah, we seem so good now at talking about periods and pregnancy and all the kind of gory stuff that comes along with that. And I just think it seems like, it seems to me anyway, that that's the one area that I just don't feel like we're talking about enough yet. Um, I've seen a few things and I think there are really great people out there who are probably talking about it. But from my perspective, it's really important that we have complete unity on all of those things that women are experiencing and not kind of glamorise periods and, yeah. and, and pregnancy and then leave that one on the back burner. Yeah, I totally agree. And the menopause is a process. It's a bit like when you start your period for the first time. It's not just all of a sudden one day, although it might feel like it, mm. but your body has been gearing up and changes and processes have been happening actually for years and the months leading up to that. Mm. And it's the same for the menopause. So, you know, menopause is defined when you haven't had a period for a year. So, you know, when you're perimenopausal or going through the menopause, it normally takes a few years. You know, you might one year have 
six periods and the next year have two and the next one they might come back a little bit more you know so it's a bit mm. up and down and it is a process and it does take a while so I would really encourage anybody over the age of about 35, if you're female, to, yeah, just, I guess, show interest and kind mm. of get awareness around menopause. Mm. And there is, thankfully, so much more coming out there about nutrition and how we can be better prepared for the menopause as well and make that transition a bit easier and more manageable. Because I know we're talking about the pelvic health parts of menopause, but there's so many other parts of menopause yeah, of as course. well. I wanted to move on and talk about sex <laughs> for a second. Because <laughs> um, a lot of people aren't aware that our pelvic floor is directly linked to our sexual function or dysfunction. Yes. Can you maybe explain a little bit more about this? So... When I was saying earlier about where the pelvic floor muscles are, I said they were mostly internal. We also have a smaller layer externally. So this external layer, in us women at least, it completely embeds the clitoris. And this is another area of anatomy and kind of research that is just so exciting at the moment because we know more about the clitoris and its anatomy than we ever have done, which is really... <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's really exciting. And so actually, you know, what we all think of as a clitoris, that tiny little bead, is actually literally the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's actually so much bigger than that. It has big legs that go down the side of our vulva and a head that goes kind of back towards the pubic bone. Um, so the clitoris is way bigger than what we can actually see and feel. And that's completely embedded within the pelvic floor muscle. So in terms of sexual function, you know, our pelvic floor muscles if they are acting good in terms of strength and flexibility, then it enables us to be able to have sex, mm. um, but also is important for masturbation and orgasm. Mm. And our pelvic floor muscles really control the strength of your orgasm and how long it takes to orgasm. Mm. So, yeah, pretty important. <laughs> and so if there was dysfunction, what might that present as? It would usually present as pain or sometimes just odd sensations like tingling or kind of prickliness just kind of odd things like that around arousal so if you're feeling aroused then that can create those symptoms I guess the most obvious one is that you're unable to have penetration so the way that the muscle fibers are orientated around our pelvic floor is well quite simply a bit circular around our holes so if those circular muscles are clenching then it closes the holes so that goes for the urethra, the vagina and the back passage. So essentially, if you've not got good flexibility, then you're not going to be able to achieve penetration. Mm -hmm. Or if you do attempt to achieve penetration, it's going to be really uncomfortable and really sore. Mm -hmm. Ladies that I see with a condition called vaginismus, um, which is where the muscles clench in reaction to penetration, they'll often describe it like they just feel a complete block mm -hmm. and like they just completely closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the most obvious one I would How say. How common is that? I see it a lot. Mm. But obviously, I would see a very skewed kind of population, yeah. relatively common. Mm. And I think, well, I know it can be really, really, really distressing for the women that are experiencing it. Yeah. But I think there are telltale signs of it. Mm. So things like difficulty using tampons and difficulty having a smear test, because mm -hmm. obviously those two things both require penetration. Yeah. So they're the kind of signs to look out for there. Okay. I wanted to now move on to talking about how our pelvic floor is linked to our core. I think this is probably a really hot topic at the moment. The amount of times that I get messaged asking, what's my favourite ab exercise? How do I train my abs in the gym? And I wondered if you could please, I guess, expand on how the pelvic floor is linked to our core because they are so interconnected and how your core training might actually be impacting your pelvic floor in a negative way. Yeah, so... Our pelvic floor muscles don't work on their own, so they are connected into our core. So a lot of people think of the core as just the abs, and this is not true. So the abs are also just part of the core. So if you think about in the middle of our body, so at the bottom of our rib cage down to the bottom of the pelvis, that's where our core is, and it's a three-dimensional tube of muscle. So the pelvic floor is the floor of the core, the abs and the back are the sides, and then the diaphragm is the lid to the core. So if you're doing a pelvic floor squeeze correctly, or if your body is activating your pelvic floor in the right way, then it will also automatically get your inner tummy muscle to also activate. So it's like two for the price of one. 
However, if you are doing loads and loads of ab work in the gym mm. and not really considering your pelvic floor, then you can create without knowing an imbalance in your core. And that can also weaken your pelvic floor. So I have seen over the years so many ladies come into me, lots of people doing Pilates and mm -hmm. focusing loads about, you know, kind of drawing in the belly button to spine and really trying to get those abs activated the whole time. And actually, it can lead to pelvic floor symptoms. And so it's another thing that I would get all my ladies to do when they're in the gym is actually to maybe just pause on the abdominal exercises if they are having symptoms but more importantly just day to day just never holding their tummy in yeah because if you're always holding that tummy in then you're just always putting pressure down and that over time can really weaken the pelvic floor and just imbalance the core and I think in a society where we are obsessed with thinness and being lean I think the stomach is an area that's received particular focus yeah. I'm someone that has been there and worn the t-shirt with abs and you do feel this constant pressure to almost be tense and I think even now women women are almost under pressure to feel as though they're constantly holding their tummies in yeah. and I think it's really important and I know that um, actually Dr. Megan Rossi who is the gut health doctor she talks about how that there's a link between that and IBS symptoms as well and I think it's all interconnected and I think I actually really like to start all of my gym sessions with breathing, like a supine breathing drill. So lying on my back, putting my hands on my rib cage, and just getting myself to do some really big 3D breaths so that I can get myself into a state where I'm not tense and I'm not rushing and I'm not stressed, that I actually relax and I allow myself to almost tap into that parasympathetic nervous system, yeah. chill out a little bit, and then commence my session. And I think it's it's something that almost feels counterintuitive to what you're supposed to be doing in the gym. We think of the gym as tension and holding stuff and being really, really strong. But actually, if we think about the bigger picture and we take a step back, it's all interconnected. And actually, the tension and the relaxation is what's most important. Am I right? This is it. Yeah, exactly. And it would be one of my biggest top tips is to just never ever hold your tummy in mm. um, so if you're listening and you hold your tummy in a lot then it's just yeah it's not great for your pelvic floor but also not great for your breathing for your digestive system for so many things mm. um, I think just a conscious every you know if you if you're someone that subconsciously does it because over time you've you've almost built a habit of doing it to just put, to put your tummy in your hands and just do a couple of really big tummy breaths every yes. sort of every time you, you think about it so if you're sat at your desk just do a couple and really relax because I think sometimes we do have to remind ourselves to do these things when we are really busy and we're not thinking maybe necessarily about our pelvic floor 24 7 <laughs> it is important to check ourselves so maybe it's a reminder on your phone or it's just that you check in with yourself every couple of hours and just think oh god okay let me just relax yeah and I know there are some um, watches and devices will like set you a reminder to breathe yeah my so Apple watch does that is, yeah exactly mm, great yeah, I'm going to move on because we're talking about the gym a lot and there's something that I particularly wanted to speak to you about in terms of training and being in the gym. You're someone who's written a lot about women who train and managing their training load around their menstrual cycle. I know many women experience pain and a drop in motivation and fatigue when they are going through their time of the month. Can you maybe explain what goes on in a monthly cycle and how we can tune into that to perform at our best? I think most of us, well, most of us ladies mm. are most aware of when we have our periods, so when we're bleeding, because that's the most inconvenient part. It's the bit where we kind of feel quite crap and it's kind of hard to ignore sometimes. But actually, knowing about all the other weeks in our cycle is also so beneficial, especially for training. Mm. So very simply, you could break it down into two halves and the middle. So the first half of our menstrual cycle is basically from day one so it's on the day that you start bleeding until about the halfway point which is when ovulation occurs but in this first half of our cycle which is roughly a couple of weeks long it's when our estrogen is the main hormone that's dominant and estrogen is really good for bone building muscle building mm. and kind of energy motivation and things like that so actually if you can track your cycle and you know where you are then well, and this is how I do my workouts as well. So in the first half of my cycle, I will push hard on my weight training. And it's just been shown that if you push really hard in terms of weights in the first half, you're going to get much stronger. 
And it means that then in the second half of your cycle, so from ovulation until the day before you start bleeding again, you can kind of back off the weights, but actually still get stronger overall. That's because in the second half of our cycle, progesterone is the dominant hormone, but that is more suited to endurance. So in the second half of my cycle, I would then not try and push for like PBs or heavy weights. I would actually go more so for endurance type things. So I would keep the weight a bit lower, but do a few more reps. I do CrossFit. So my program is kind of maybe a bit more conditioning in that in that half. This is it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just going back to the midway point. So the midway point in our cycle is ovulation. And that's when estrogen peaks with testosterone as well. So that is the prime time like if you could manipulate everything so that that is when you go for your like one rep max day mm. or if you've got a competition coming up or something like that then you know in an ideal world it would be on that day mm. but yeah if you just know those few simple things then actually you can get a lot of benefit from your training without having to change anything yeah and I think we're, we're generally talking here about people that have sort of normal healthy periods and I'm putting that in inverted commas because there's no such thing as really normal I guess but there's a there's a rough guide yeah um, but if women experience particularly painful periods is this something you're trained to help with so it depends on the cause if it's mm -hmm. a gynecological cause of pain then that wouldn't really come down to me to really diagnose or treat as such because I'm not a doctor and so that would be yeah, out of, of my remit mm -hmm. but if it was like for example ladies with endometriosis that typically has a lot of pain with their periods mm. then I would see a lot of those ladies because of the secondary effects it can cause which is mainly muscle tension yeah that's um, that was actually my next question so I, I feel like we can go there endometriosis affects one in ten women yeah it takes a long time to be diagnosed and it's something that I'm seeing being spoken about more, but maybe not necessarily as much as it should be. What actually is it and how can you help as a pelvic health physio? Yeah, so inside our uterus, inside the womb, we have our endometrial lining. So endometriosis is when that endometrial lining is in areas that isn't inside the womb. So typically um, like in the pelvic cavity or around the ovaries or around the bowel and places like that. So it's near to the uterus, but not where it should be. So it means that when we have that hormone trigger to mm. cause the bleeding to happen and for that endometrial lining to shed, mm. then it's really, really, really painful because it's shedding from areas that it's not really designed to be yeah. in. It takes a long time to be diagnosed. And I think think that's reason why some of the secondary symptoms like the muscle tension just build up because it just accumulates it over such a long mm. it often I think it's seven years that it takes to be diagnosed with endometriosis yeah and that would definitely reflect what I see in my clinic mm. and I think as well if you think you might have endometriosis then you're the expert of your body as yeah. in you know your body better than anybody else and I still see it really often the ladies will come in and they'll describe what to me sounds obviously like endometriosis and you know they would have been to people before and they hadn't really got any answers or so I would say if you think you might have it then you know just kind of keep pushing I guess mm. because once you know you have it then there's not any cure as such, but there are treatment options available that are going to help you to manage it. And certainly I've seen amazing results um, with some of the ladies that I've treated. But as a pelvic health physio, I can really help to get rid of all the muscle tension. Yeah. So to help unclench that pelvic floor, help unclench the tummy, mm. restore circulation again, get mm. normal movement going through. Because mm. a lot of these ladies would have so much tension everywhere, understandably. Yeah. I'm jumping all over the place here. <laughs> but we've talked about pregnancy and things that women can do during their pregnancy to really help in terms of the pelvic floor exercises. But I know post-pregnancy is also a really worrying time for women too, with many complaining of, I guess, feeling a bit different down there. There's been a lot of change change stuff's happened stuff's come out of there <laughs> um yeah. what should women be concerned with in this sort of post-pregnancy time so maybe up to their six-week checkup is there things that you sort of flag as like a red flag if they feel that or are there things that are totally normal that women should be yeah. aware of so i would say it's normal to perhaps not feel very normal down there depending on how your delivery has gone so if you've had a c-section then you're obviously going to feel 
more or less normal down below. Um, but if that C-section perhaps was emergency and you've, you know, you attempted vaginal delivery, but it for whatever reason didn't happen, or if you had a vaginal delivery that required forceps or von twos, or you've had an episiotomy or had any tears, then it's likely that your pelvic floor has obviously gone through some physical trauma. So it takes about six weeks roughly for everything to heal and knit back together again. Mm. So that is potentially going to cause you pain and, you know, things are going to feel a bit bruised, a bit swollen. And so I would say that's normal whilst you're in the healing phase. Mm -hmm. But what isn't normal is for pain to get increasingly worse or to not go away. Mm -hmm. So if you do have any pain, it should get a little bit less each day. Swelling should gradually go down. Signs of infection would be the pain getting worse or it feeling really hot or any bad smells or anything like that, anything mm. that just doesn't feel very right would not be normal. Mm-hmm. Some incontinence is never normal, but would be really, really, really common in those first few days or first few weeks. But it's always safe to do your pelvic floor. So no matter what the delivery was like, even if you have had an episiotomy or a tear, it's still safe and really beneficial to do your pelvic floor. So if you had some trauma, then you'd maybe be doing a few less pelvic floor squeezes to begin with. But doing just a few can really help the circulation and, you know, really promote the healing healing process. process. Yeah, absolutely. And diastasis is something that also affects women post-pregnancy and they suddenly panic about this gap in between their stomach muscles. Now, separation of the abdominals happens in 100% of pregnancies. And I remember you telling me that stat and really it's sticking in my mind because I think (laughs) so many women worry about it. But actually, the fact that it happens in 100% of pregnancies means I think that kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. When should women become concerned with the separation and how do you help rehab people through this? The main point where it would require attention is when you're at the eight-week mark. So once you're eight weeks after delivery, if you still have a diastasis then, then that's the point that we need to get involved. And do you maybe want to explain the diastasis and what it might look like and how many, you know, what what the degree of separation might be? Yeah, so it's different with everybody um, and not every lady I see who has it knows they have it either Mm. because it's not always very obvious. Sometimes it can be, but sometimes it's not. I would say the signs that people notice are things like if they go to sit straight up out of bed or from the floor or something, they get a bit of a Toblerone down their middle of the tummy, just like a sticky out bit that runs along the length of their tummy. Or the opposite, so you can get like an an inversion along their midline. So you can get a sticky outy Toblerone or a sticky inny Mm. (laughs) Toblerone. And the other, I would say, most common sign is when ladies come back to me and complain of still looking pregnant. Mm. And it affects the slimmer women more, I think, because mm-hmm. it's more obvious. But nearly always when I check them, they have a diastasis still. And so rehabbing that, what would that look like generally? I know you can't give specific advice, yeah. so I don't want that. But <laughs> but just generally, there's there's some stuff that women can do. Absolutely. So from day one, Everyone should be doing a bit of breathing because our diaphragm gets pushed up out of the way during pregnancy. So we need to do some nice breathing to bring it back down and the pelvic floor squeezes. So those two things, because like we now know, the diaphragm and pelvic floor are part of our core, will actually help the diastasis because your diaphragm helps circulation and flexibility. Your pelvic floor is connected to your tummy muscles, so it's going to help to strengthen and activate your tummy in a really safe way. And then... It's all about trying to figure out what exercise is suitable for you. So I would normally start trying to test out a mini sit-up and just see how the lady in front of me is doing it. So sometimes it might be just to squeeze their pelvic floor while they do a sit-up or I might focus more around their ribs because our muscles obviously attach onto our ribs as well. Mm. Um, So it might be that their rib cage is still a bit widened from pregnancy. So it might be that we need to address that, and then that helps the diastasis. Mm. So very simply, it's finding an exercise that strengthens the tummy, but in the correct way for that woman. Yeah. We've talked about a lot today, and I think from what I've experienced in your clinic when women have always come in and been totally comfortable you know like I'm sitting in the room you're sitting in the room and they're taking their clothes off and it must be uncomfortable for some women and it must be a nerve-wracking experience 
how do you support women who who might feel a bit self-conscious about their issues or about coming to you about the experience that they might have if they saw someone like a pelvic health physio? Yeah, so we offer like a phone consultation if people want to speak with us first. I always make sure I explain properly and thoroughly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. I think that's really important. Mm. And just make sure that they always have the choice. I never put any pressure on. And no matter what they feel comfortable doing there's always something I can do to help in that moment and then it might be that they come back for a follow-up and then we can do a bit more then but I think the main thing is just always making sure just making sure that she knows that she's the one in control and it's her choice what we do do Mm. or don't do I must add as well that all the women that I have been in in clinic with you with have given full consent for me to be you don't just surprise them with me in the corner like hi (laughs) yeah no um and my final question for you is I guess one for everyone listening is that if people can't afford to see someone privately which must be a a lot of people out there definitely what are their options when it comes to seeing a specialist do they go to their GP yeah so if you're listening in the UK then it's definitely going to your Mm. go to your GP and there are pelvic health physios on the NHS so you definitely you can go and get an NHS referral it you might just be waiting a little bit longer but you know it's better than nothing mm. if you do have the means to go privately the squeezy app website has a really good directory and actually saying that i think it's nhs and private physios that are represented on that website so regardless of how you're going to get there you'll be able to find someone who's really close to you so that's the squeezy app and that can just be downloaded from the app store that's actually really good it's a really good app i absolutely love it and it's great for pelvic floor exercises as well it is so and if you go onto their website that's where the directory is so the, Uh. the app is really good for like your exercise plan and Mm -hmm. your program and reminding you but if you want to know the postcode directory go to their full website perfect Helen it has been a joy I've learned loads you are such a wealth of knowledge and I feel like we've really picked apart a subject today which probably people haven't heard spoken about much which I think is great and I hope that everyone listening at home feels a little bit more empowered and informed about their bodies and stronger as a result if you could have one take home that you could give everyone today about their pelvic floor about maybe something that they could do that's maybe a practical tip what would that be I would say breathe with your tummy don't hold your tummy in and squeeze your back passage. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> now, three. with every episode, we do two final questions for each guest, which are always the same. <laughs> now, the first one for me is what does strength look like to you? So I would say, well, I'm very fortunate in my job that I, in my opinion, anyway, I get to see strength on a day to day basis. Um from many of the women that come in to see me and I think just getting over that first hurdle and making that step to come and see somebody just I guess letting me in and you know talking about their problem and then kind of taking that step forward and getting the results that they finally deserve. I I really love that and I think it's so true taking control of your health is such a strong thing and finally who in your life demonstrates strength the most? So there's well many 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 I could choose from um I think though there's a lot to be said for inner strength and I guess yeah it's sometimes been a hard road trying to get this pelvic health message out there um and I've been doing it for such a long time now over the years so yeah I would say finding strength in myself to help get the message out there to empower all the women and Thank you to you as well for helping me to do that. Yes, I love that. I love it. You have. You know, you deserve that. And I think sometimes we need to pat ourselves on the back and say, you're doing a bloody good job. (laughs) And on that note, thank you so much for listening. Helen, you have been wonderful. And tune in next week for another episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. We appreciate any feedback you can give, so please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode.